the best piece of fiction that I have ever read or ever written was my five-year business plan. Everything was up and to the right. And then you get the market that tells you what they love and what they loathe. Choose not to live in a world of filters. Realize your mistakes. Set the foundation for your success. Get some wins. Knucklehead Podcast. Welcome to another edition of Knucklehead Podcast. You've got with you today, the Knucklehead Steven, just like you do every episode. I know that uh, those folks that are listening out there are rolling their eyes. They're pressing that fast forward 10, 15 seconds to get through the voice intro. But the reason why you don't want to is because of who we have with us. Tom Schwann from Interview Valet. And I'm going to introduce him as Interview Valet. Those of you who are listening and you recognize the name, you may know him from different projects. But one thing that I want you to pay attention to as we go through today is the fact that his service, his product, his expertise, and his relationships that he's been able to develop over the years are exactly who you pay attention to on social media. And the reason why I think this is important is a lot of times people gloss over, they kind of get drummed to death with Gary Vanderchuk, or they start hearing all these, these names and they start to shut off, or even if they don't shut off, they start getting attracted to the tactics and start to mimic it without understanding the connective tissue between all of those folks. And that's where Tom really, really fits in really, really well. So I'm, I really want you to tune in, buckle up and pay attention. And Tom, I'm excited and ecstatic to have you on the show. So welcome to the show. How are you? Stephen, I am thrilled to be here. I have to say it's weird to hear you live. I'm used to listening to the Knucklehead podcast at 2x speed as I run at half x speed. So I'm just thrilled to be here. I'm honored that it's at least one of the 50 podcasts that are going through your Rolodex. So we love that we get to go on those runs with you. And if you're listening to one of these runs, I want you to pause for just a sec and realize that once you get back in front of your computer, I want you to do yourself a favor. Go to Interview Ballet. Go to LinkedIn and look at Tom. And my suggestion would be to connect with him. And a lot of times whenever we have guests, not only on this show, but whenever you hear guests on podcasts, rather than digging into the history of who they are, my encouragement to you is go take a peek at what they're doing currently before you do that. Because my goodness gracious, Tom's service is, is an absolute necessity for folks that want to understand how to navigate the world of podcasting, how to circumvent the process of understanding who's doing what and who's doing it really, really well. And he can really bring into focus how to access from a PR standpoint and even just from a, from a competency standpoint, how to benefit your business the most. That's what I've noticed about Tom and Tom's service. Is that a mischaracterization of, of what you do, Tom, or is that pretty close to well, summarizing? I'm honored that you say keep saying Tom. But to me, as you know, it's always the system, right? It's always the people. So we've got a team of 18 now, all based in North America, geographically diverse team. And we can talk about why I'm so passionate about that. But to me, it's the team that does it. And then the systems, right? Our success is in our system. So I get to take all the credit for it, but it's really the team at Interview Valet that does it. And, you know, as we pull back behind the curtain, it's not magic. There's no trick to it. It's really just a system. And I think as we unpack it and look backwards, it's like you're going to go, wow, this was evolutionary, not revolutionary. And looking back, it's like, oh yeah, it makes sense. We are here where we are. That's okay. Well, that's a, that's a really good way of, of putting it. And kudos to you for your leadership there, uh, taking that praise and distributing it uh, accordingly. So you can brag on your team a little bit through, here through the process. It's, it's an okay place to do it. One, because we're knucklehead. And it insinuates, first of all, <laughs> that uh, you may have gone through a period of time where it was more about you than it was about the team. And I'm not saying that just because I haven't done it before, because I certainly have. 
and it's blown up in my face without giving credit where credit is due. So I'm saying that so you don't have to. I'll just put it to you that way. <laughs> With that being said, as industries start to change, and, and I, and I kind of want to set the tone for, for today and today's conversation, because people get it confused. They feel as if the fact that they have a podcast or the fact that they have a social media persona or their business has social media channels or they, they have this entire digital presence, so to speak, that that gives folks access. And so I, I have to ask you, in your, in your experience, given the fact that there's some industry titans that you're closely connected with, how do they delineate between the individual and their brand? And then what are some pitfalls that you've seen them uh, experience? Because you know, I'm, cu- I'm just curious to see how people stomach the difference between a brand and a, and a person and, and, and how that all melds together really well on social media or even podcasting for that matter. You know, it's, I don't know that you can separate the brand from the person. Everything is getting intertwined here. Like even like when people talk about work-life balance, I don't see that as possible, right? It's work-life integration. So how can you say, well, I'm this personally, but I'm this with my brand. It's like, no, it's, it's who you are. And I think more and more with companies now, people want to work with people. So they want to figure out who started the business, who's leading the business, why did they do it, what's their heart, right? So HubSpot did a study a couple of years ago that showed that when people went to the About the Founders page, it was highly indicative that they were going to buy. And here's, you know, a software as a service company. But I can point to it also, early on, we worked with Gavin Zaklinski. Gavin started Acuity Scheduling that was later bought by Squarespace. It was their first um, acquisition. And you look at that, there is a lot of different calendar scheduling programs out there, right? I don't know which one's the best, but I know I always used Gavin's because I heard his story. You know, I heard his story on why he built it for his mom and how well it worked. And then she started telling her friends. And it was that, that that drew me to that. And it's like, I like this guy. I like the way he's building the company. I like the values behind it. And, you know, could the competition be better? Yeah, but I don't know if the competition is, you know, some company out of Bangladesh someplace. You know, it's like, to me, the brand was the, the founder. And I think we're seeing that more and more. You know, if you look at some of the older companies that people think of the big brands, you know, Coke, Pepsi, a lot of those, there's no name and face behind it. But then all of a sudden you start to look at the brands that are really built today. You know, you look at Tesla, that is Elon Musk. And what he does affects the brand and vice versa. The same thing you could say with Facebook or other ones out there. So I think you have to be very, very conscious, right? That you can't have two brands. People are going to see you. There's no secrets on the internet anymore. So you need to, you need to be who you are and authentic. You know, some people love you, some people won't. But um, if you're not who you are consistently, everybody will hate you and your brand. I was about ready to say that. To be honest with you, that's a problem that I see. So let's back up just a second. Cause I think that, I think that the development of that, of that understanding uh, lends with it. You have an incredible amount of perspective from observing industry leaders and observing the way that folks interact with their digital presence, so to speak, versus them being the consumers actually going and, and talking to those brands and asking them questions about either their product or their service. A good one that comes to mind is Starbucks, for instance, right? So if mm-hmm. everybody understands, if you, if you say the phrase, the third place, 
most people who've, who've studied marketing or understand how decision making works from being intentional, they would go, I think that that's what Howard Schultz had talked about, you know, whenever he, he originally came up with the idea of Starbucks. Now, maybe I'm off base there. Maybe I'm misconstruing it. But the whole point is there's a story behind the brand. And then there's a phrase that some folks can start to associate with it. It doesn't necessarily mean that everybody's going to go to Starbucks just because there's a third place. It means that when it comes to coffee or even uh, that type of experience, they don't really have any other choices or options. It's not that the other establishments don't exist. Now, all of a sudden, it's just like it's embedded into the psyche of, uh, of who they are. But it starts from a place of being a very intentional first. <laughs> and I think that, you know, given your your experience, when it comes to podcasting, how are you seeing businesses are, are embracing this medium? Or how are people who are just wanting to dip their toe in it? How are they how are they starting to navigate this? Because uh, this kind of plays into what you do uh, on a day to day basis. Yeah. And I always step back from the tactics and look at the strategy, right? Because the tactics are going to change. You know, right now we're recording this at the end of 2019. Somebody's going to listen to this in 2025 and laugh every time we say the word podcast, right? Because it'll probably be something after that. You know, a couple of years ago, I asked my daughters what the pod stood in podcasting and they rolled their eyes and didn't know, right? Because to them, they'd never known a world with an iPod. To them, it was just audio. So I think if you step back and don't focus on the tool as much as the strategy, right? So what is, what's marketing? What do you need to grow your business? Well, you need to connect and start a conversation with somebody that could be an ideal customer. You know, that that used to be going to the golf course, uh, uh, being in a, a local rotary club. At a certain time, it was billboards. Other times, it was phone calls. You re- Remember emails when it was, you got mail and people were excited to get that. So I think you've got to look at it and just say, what is the next way that we can connect with our clients? And to me, that's what podcasting is. And I really think podcasting is very powerful because it's a deep conversation. You know, a lot of people talk about how do you break through the noise? Uh, I think we're all just basically yelling, right? Nobody's breaking through the noise. It's like yelling at a football game. Nobody hears you. So I think the better question is, how do you get in on the conversation? And as a podcast guest, as a podcast host, you've got a rare opportunity to be in somebody's ears for, you know, 30, 45 minutes. And, you know, at at times, um, I've got friends that are public speakers and they're jumping on a plane and spending two days to go and, and talk to a hundred people and they love it. And I look at it and say, you know, you jump on a podcast, you don't have to leave home and you can talk to thousands, tens of thousands throughout time. So I think the, the smart people are using podcast to support their strategy, not just a, a total new thing, but how can we evolve this and use this? And for me personally, writing a blog is a homework assignment right? I've written a lot of blogs in my life, but I've never looked forward to them. But for me, talking is very easy. So our team this summer did an experiment. How much content could we get out of one of Tom's interviews? So I'm thrilled to jump up here and, and talk for a half hour. And then they would transcribe and make blogs out of it. If I talk long enough, I'll say something really, really smart and they can cut that out and make a a 45 second audio clip of it, make memes, all the rest of that. So to me, it's really podcasting is allowing you to create in the way you want and then repurpose 
in the way that your customers want. You know, somebody asked me the other day, 50% of the U.S. population now listens to podcasts. And they said, well, when do you think it's going to get to 100%? And I had to think about it for a second. And it's like, well, radio and television never got to 100%. You know, 10% of the U.S. population is hearing impaired. They'll never listen to a podcast. But doesn't mean they can't listen to a transcript. And uh, to me, that's really the power of podcasting is just to create content that's easy to consume in various ways. And really, that's what marketing is all about starting a conversation with somebody that could be a great customer. Hey, you ever asked yourself why you haven't started a podcast? Well, I already know the reason. So do you. You don't feel like you're tech savvy. You don't feel like you got your message wired tight. And quite frankly, it's just, it's all this mystification going on. Quite frankly, uh, our process helps to demystify that. We're push button for podcasts. We're knucklehead. Why knucklehead? Well, we lead with the fact that you don't know what you're doing. We do. We've been there. We've actually been in your shoes. We take your spoken voice. We literally give a human voice to your website. You want to bring dead leads to life? Well, then you need to talk to Knucklehead. Essentially, what we're going to do is we're going to take you through our process and we're going to help take your human voice and increase the process for you going from dead leads to life. How do I, how do I do that? Well, you essentially just take your human voice, put it in a directory and let people consume more of you. Give your audience the ability to Netflix on you. They want to binge watch you. They want to binge listen. Give them the ability to take your voice along on that commute with them. So you can get in touch with us, Stephen at Knucklehead Podcasts, or if you've got a really cool story, stories at Knucklehead Podcasts. You can find us on LinkedIn and on Facebook at Knucklehead Promotions, LLC. And get in touch with us. Don't be a beta about the process. Don't let the fact that you don't know prevent you from getting some wins. So don't be a beta, get some wins and contact us today. See ya. I love how you, you broke apart what the process can be. The process for us, that's a, that's a stage called content distribution, right? So you, what is it? You you begin with the end in mind. You can put whatever phrases there are to it, but it also kind of lends itself to the idea that you've tried a few things that didn't work out the way that you wanted them to. So you've, you've figured out through either adding folks to your team or tinkering on something long enough. And this is knucklehead. You know, this isn't, you did it right the first time, every single time. So can you think of a time where you screwed it up and you were like, oh, geez, uh, this is supposed to work out exactly the way I thought it was going to. And it worked out the exact opposite. Well, think about it. The, the best piece of fiction that I have ever read or ever written was my five-year business plan, right? Everything was up and to the right. And, you know, and then you get the market that tells you what they love and what they loathe. You know, we used to joke uh, in the Navy that you got to be smart enough to know right answer when told. And our customers are telling us what they love and what they loathe. My initial business plan was I had just sold a company. I didn't want to start up another company. I was helping out some friends. Hold on for a second. Hold on for a second. How many companies have you started? What number is this for you? This is my third company. Wow. So I did a distributorship, which I had one customer, right? They wanted to buy it back, which makes a whole lot of sense. Cut out the middleman until you look and say you're the middleman. So that was just at the beginning of the recession. So I sold that back to them and we had a real little sideline business. It was direct to patient, durable medical equipment. We were basically renting those little knee scooters to people in Michigan. And I had looked at that and said, we could expand this nationwide, but this was the beginning of, you know, the recession. There was no way I was going to do a brick and mortar. And I read a, a book by two smart guys out of MIT, uh, Brian Halligan and Darmesh Saw, and they went on to form HubSpot. 
And I read the book and they thought, eh, this should work for e-commerce. So we were one of the first ones. In fact, we were the first case study they had and Beretta USA, which is the oldest company in the world, was their second case study. And so we built that company up using content, right? Inbound marketing, sold that off. And then I was in this sabbatical phase and Stephen, a couple of people that were in the mastermind with me said, hey, could you help me with my digital marketing? And I said, sure. And this was about 2014. And I had them write blogs. And one of the hacks that we used to use was guest blogging, right? Instead of writing a blog, putting it up on your own site, getting it seen by three people, you know, put it on a site where other people are already there, you know, Huffington Post, Wall Street Journal, get that no like and trust. Well, one of the things I saw was that blogs weren't working nearly as well as they used to. And nobody liked really writing the blogs. So I wondered if you could use podcast interviews like we used to use guest blogs, do an interview on somebody's established site. It worked so well that at first I thought, eh, it's a niche, it's a personality. So I kept testing it and it worked really well. And people asked me about it and I started to put together like a rough PDF. It was an ugly book. And I started to give that out. Then I started to sell that. And people told me, you know what you should do? You should put a course together. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds good. So I spent about three months putting a course together and it was rough. And every time I'd get feedback, I'd change it. And I never took it out of beta because I had this vision of, I'm going to write a book, I'm going to do a course, and that's it. But what I looked at was nobody was getting results with it. And later on, I found out that most people don't finish a course. No, Most people don't use it. But the people that were honest with me said, you know, you've given me a cookbook. You've given me the videos. I don't want to be the chef, right? You make it for me. Let me be the guest. You take care of all the rest. So all of a sudden, my business plan, my idea on how to do this didn't work. And I knew that I wanted to help people. I knew that I wanted to get this out there, but I didn't know that I wanted to build another company. So in the fall of 2015, I said, okay, we'll test it. We'll beta test it, see if it works. Well, it worked so well that in 2016, we took it out of beta and that's what became Interview Valet. So when I started this, I had no desire to have employees, to have a team. My last company, you know, had a physical presence. When it snowed in Michigan, we were closed down. You'd have to work, you know, nine to five or whatever. And it's like, no, you can't serve a global audience and say, no, nine to five, Monday through Friday, unless it snows. So uh, I, I knew that I didn't want to do that. So when I started it out, it was like, well, let's try something different. I know that didn't work. Let's see if we can do a geographically diverse company. That's really interesting. It's interesting thinking about distributorships and that leading to how you've processed information, even the way you're describing what it is that you're talking about, it's, it sounds to me like an, almost like a distributorship type model. What I mean by distributorship is, you know, one central spot, right? You, you can kind of grow, land and expand, kind of use that old flywheel concept that most consultants leverage in order to get into to a business. That connective tissue between talent or the, the folks that are willing to be the chefs or willing to be the cook, and you handhold them through that, through that entire process. I, mm-hmm. I really like how you've, you've kind of designed the service. I'm interested, is it, do you think that there's a, a demand for folks who are, are wanting to creatively tell the story of their business through, through this podcast? Or are they, they just kind of want to go on a, on a tour, so to speak, to kind of get their, their name out there and establish themselves as a, 
as an authority in a particular industry, so to speak, or a, a potential channel. Yeah, very much, very much so, because we work with mostly authors, coaches, consultants, speakers, and brands. Um, And we really focus in three verticals, not necessarily where our customers are, but where our customers' customers are. Business is our biggest one, faith and Christianity, and health, nutrition, and wellness. And I really believe that the biggest problem we all have today is obscurity, right? Because right now, What what do you mean by that? Right now, there's a thousand, tens of thousands of people that could be served by your current product or service. Right. People would love that. You don't have to change something. Uh, you don't have to improve anything. But the problem is, is they don't know you exist. So trying to tweak something or tweak the website or do this, I look at it as like being in the middle of the desert, changing the sign around. Well, if nobody knows you're there, if nobody goes by, it doesn't work. That's and, an analogy I can understand. The, yeah. Well, the, the sign in the desert that makes well, that makes a ton more sense to me. So, do you find that businesses feel that way, or do you find that the people who provide the service to the business feel that way? I think still we we think we need more customers, and uh, we're still fighting over these same customers. It's it's this scarcity mentality, and when we were serving people that were within ten miles of us, you know, my grandfather. A great businessman, he ran a a service station. If you didn't live within probably 10 miles of Cunningham service station, you'd never be a customer. So he had a very small customer base. And if you look at it for us, you know, our customer base is tens of millions, hundreds of millions. That's fair. No, I understand what you mean. But and we only we only need a few of those. So we need the better customers, not just more customers. And, you know, if you're doing a a brand like Amazon or Coke, yeah, you need lots and lots of customers. But for the vast majority of us, there's that study that came out or paper that talks about a thousand true fans. That's all a band ever needs. I I would say most businesses, all you need is a thousand true fans. I had a, he's a coach of mine, so to speak. He's He's a mentor of mine. He's been a guest on this podcast before. He talks about being disciplined enough to write down a list of a hundred people that you're willing to crawl across broken glass to service. And I'm like, what on earth? What are you talking about? Crawl across broken glass? It sounds like the most horrible idea (laughs) ever, right? But if you think about that, two things will happen. You start to really try to truly prioritize where your time's being spent to find the right people to work with. Because as you, I'm sure you found your business, you know, at 18 now, as as your business grows, you want those folks to be just as sold out or just as interested and just as passionate about the things that you're passionate about. They may have a different creative process to get to that desired outcome. However, it's, I mean, hiring and firing is, is a very difficult process to go through, especially in today's economy, today's world. However, it's, you want to find that right person. You want to find the right group of folks that you want to be loyal to. An analogy, uh, the vision of you crawling across broken glass to get to those 50 people. All I could think of is that if those are the right 50 people, they'll meet you in the middle because they're crawling the other way over the broken glass. And, you know, the rest of the world, the rest of the 7 billion people are going to look out and go, what are they doing? But those 51 people that are crawling in glass, they're thrilled to be there. Yeah. And I mean, they understand it's temporary too. I mean, you can, you're going to get cut up. Yep, of course. But you're also going to be healed. You know, once you find each other, you're, you're going to be able to, to make the magic necessary. I mean, that's the mastermind principle, right? It's the mastermind philosophy is just 
you and me together all of a sudden create this third brain that, or this third entity that exists that we can't see that will net out some type of magical outcome. And I love the way that you gave a disclaimer. You spoke to something at the beginning of this conversation. You said that it's not magic. I get it. What you're trying to say is you're not the secret behind everything. Really, it's the result of the work that you put together. And I love how you said the creative exercise uh, that y'all went through, how much content can we generate from one of Tom's talks? That's that's brilliant, by the way. I, I, I love that because what you're also doing is you're just learning them how to leverage the work. How do you leverage the work? How do you get more value from that particular time? Because time's going to go by. You may as well get some value from it. And oh, by the way, let's let's see how many times we can slice this pie and still have something that's that looks like pie when it's all said and done <laughs> instead of looks like a jumbled mess, which I've done that before. You know, this is knucklehead. You know, we can admit to that. I remember the first time I wrote a blog, you'll laugh. I had no idea what I was doing. I think that's about 16 different fonts. You're right. I think three people at best have looked at it over the 18 months since it's been up. It's, it's unbelievable just how useless some of the content that goes on to my website currently, knucklehead.com. if you're out there wanting to look, it's borderline useless. However, the process that it took in order to develop that content, you know, that's very valuable to, to a, a business that, that wants to have that done on their folks' side or done on their vendor's side or do that guest blogging hack that you were talking about. I, I, love, I love that. So in your experience, then, given those three verticals that you talked about, how do you see it growing? Do you think one is outpacing another or how do, how do you see this whole thing playing out as your, as your business is growing and changing? Right now, the business one by far is the one that's growing the most, right? And I think it's because that's where we're bringing our clients the most value. So if we worked and we don't work with them anymore, if we worked with like a fiction author that is selling a kid's book and making a dollar off of every book that's sold, well, you got to sell a whole lot of books in order to get a great return on investment, right? And do I really need to know the author's backstory and all the rest of this to buy a, a purchase that might, uh, you know, be a $5 purchase. Probably not. But for those consultants that aren't really selling, you know, a product or a service, they're selling faith in themselves, you know, for that high ticket coach that is out there trying to connect with his ideal customers or her ideal customers. Boy, that's a great way to get that know, like, and trust. For the software as a service company that has spent millions on a platform and now it's all set. People just have to come to it. Well, for them to go on a podcast and to, to get that no like and trust, that lifetime value of a customer, that just brings them incredible value. You know, you for us- about saying no like and trust. So let's, let's educate our audience a little bit here. Cause I mean, we, we wanna assume that they understand what that means. I understand how I interpret it, but if you're going to talk to somebody like they're a second or third grader and you're going to tell them, listen, this is, these are the key performance indicators that you're going to have to use in order to find the right partner. If, if somebody comes up and says, yeah, I'm just like interview valet, except that they're not because you know how to snip somebody out that, uh, that maybe somebody else uh, who wants to, to tout your same service. What is it that you're telling that person to, to develop some comprehension around around the key performance indicators for conversion or is it is it just getting the message out there how, how do you, what what are the things that you pay attention to the most when you say yeah this is worth it as far as communicating it with clients yeah uh, to me it's really they can always copy what we did but they can't copy what we're going to do 
And I'm always amazed when I go on somebody else's website and I see my studies quoted there and they usually quote them wrong. And so when I'm talking with somebody or I'm on, on stage, I'll mention that, you know, you'll see this, this figure out there that, that podcast interviews convert 25 times better than blogs. I said, that's true, but most people misuse it. When I did that study, when it was published in HubSpot, it's not listeners to customers. It's if they come to your site to becoming a lead. So things like that to point it out and to have those in-depth conversations, because often you can talk with somebody and very quickly you realize that they've got just a surface understanding of something. They've heard it, they're repeating it, but they can't go any deeper with that. And at times I'm, I'm thrilled when we get quoted and say, we're just like this person. There's a great uh, book out there called Play Bigger, how pirates, dreamers, and innovators create and dominate markets. And in it, Christopher Locke and the other authors talk about there's always a category king in any area, right? And that category king gets 78% of the financials and then everybody else fights over the rest. So when somebody comes back and says, oh yeah, we're just like, we're just like Uber, only different. All you did was just say, oh, Uber's the category king and we're trying to be like them. Yeah, so really, uh, to me, it's it's putting it out there and intellectual property. I just look at it as I, I openly share everything we do out there because I want the market to get better. And when people say about other people coming into the market, this market is growing so fast that I welcome them all in, provided they're adding value to the ecosystem. You know, a uh, long time ago, uh, Eddie Yoon, wrote a book called Super Consumers. And he talks about two types of people. There's the missionaries and the mercenaries. So the missionaries are there from the very beginning. And I consider interview valets a missionary. We were there at the beginning. We love it. We'll be there at the end. There's other ones that are mercenaries that came in and said, wow, there's some good profits here. And that's fine. As long as they're willing to be in the battle, that's fine. The ones that I have problems with are the looters. The ones that come in and I was approached by a prospect that had been hired someone else that made every claim we made on their website. In fact, most of their website was like ours. They took the money and ran. And I look at that and say, they hurt the entire system, right? Because this person now not only lost their money, but they've also lost confidence in podcasting. They think the entire industry, you know, is scum. We get judged by that. So I, I just look at that. If somebody is adding to the ecosystem, I'll put my arm around them and say, hey, let's do this together. Podcasting needs all of us. But if somebody is out there doing things that are taking from the ecosystem, I got no use for them and we'll be very quick to call them out. First of all, I, I love the fact that there's that you can reference a book where that thought process of missionaries and mercenaries is is even was a topic and topic a topic that was discussed in, in depth. That's that's incredible. That's kudos to you that all those books that are behind you were read at one point in time by you also. So uh, half the time, it's like I get suggested a book. Like I've got this this book here, this Mastering the Rockefeller Habits. Great author, Vern Harnish, who, who since wrote other books called Scaling Up and, and other books. But I, I get suggested a book and I, I want to you know, go through it so quickly and digest all of it only to not adequately apply what it is that I'm learning. So you know what I'm talking about? Like you read a book, you're like, this is the greatest thing ever. 
uh, only to find out that you completely misinterpreted. Like it was written in French and you can only comprehend Spanish I, or something like that. Or maybe I, I that's feel, just my problem that I run into. Uh, well, I feel like I lie every time I say I read a book, right? Because I probably listen to, on average, probably two books a week. Oh, but man. it's very rare anymore that I read a book because I just don't comprehend nearly as much. So a lot of times I'll listen to the book, once again, at two times speed. And then if it's something that I really want to go back and study and implement, then I'll get the um, the physical book. But for me, it's really tough to sit down and read a book. I'm fascinated by what you just said, by the way. You literally, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but what I heard you say was um, rather than read, you actually listen to information at 2x the speed. And if you connect with it, you'll continue to listen as opposed to picking up a book. Or is that, did I mischaracterize what you said? If I, if I connect with it, I will buy the book, the heart, the physical book, then go back and read it, underline it, highlight it. And I have to listen at 2x. My mind tends to wander. So if I don't listen to it at 2x, which forces me to listen to every word, then my mind will start to wander. But that first time through, like a, a normal book might be, I don't know, a four hour read for me to sit down. And just read for four hours is tough. But, you know, I, I can listen to a book at for two hours while I'm running, while I'm uh, mowing the lawn, while I'm shoveling or plowing, anything like that, uh, time in the car, I can do that. And then I'm like, oh, this is really a good book. I've got to go back and and study this. Then how I'll much, go back on that. How much of the consumers that are out there, we, I mean, yes, we can do the law of averages, but how many people do you think are like you? If you were to segment the, the services that you provide, I mean, how many people are like you, do you think? I mean, it's an unfair question, but I'm, I'm, in my mind, I'm like, okay, well, if Tom's like that, then that means that there's got to be at least 30% of the people who are out there that are primarily, off, you know, they orient the information through, through and their buying decisions through audio first. Well, I, I would look at that and uh, say nobody's exactly like you, but the idea that we're all like the majority, I think is wrong, right? Because I was talking with uh, someone that uh, was in the C-level and he swore that the majority of C-level executives had learning differences. He wouldn't call them learning disabilities, but you think about it, a, a C-level executive, if you give them a 300-page report, They'll probably throw it back at you. You know, they want a 15 minute summary of it and then they're going to drill down on every question you didn't want them to ask. They're audible learners. That's how they can do it. Yeah. Um, and I think different people process information differently. There used to be the joke about Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter would stay up, you know, good nuclear power guy, a Naval Academy grad too. He would stay up all night reading these reports. And then they'd make fun of Reagan because Reagan wouldn't read any of the reports. He just wanted to talk to whoever brought it in. And it's like, which one was smarter? I don't know. I'll go for the guy that got the sleep. Yeah, probably either that or they were both president. So the answer is yes, right? True. Which one? Yeah, you know, uh, I love that. So yeah, for the sake of time, let's, let's uh, you know, we're looking at it towards the tail end of this particular conversation. And I'm interested in... So I had a conversation this past week about advertising and, and sponsorships as it relates to podcasting as a way to substantiate, you know, and everybody wants to talk about this. What's the bottom line, right? What, what, what's the ROI on this particular digital asset or how do you measure effectiveness? You drew a clear line in the sand where you stand in terms of uh, the, the overall impact of the industry and whether or not somebody's a missionary or mercenary. So that, that kind of helps me understand how you, how you think about this. 
But somebody who's, you know, kind of cut their teeth, so to speak, in the business world, and they're they're out there hooking and jabbing in the marketplace as a as a business. They're a hundred million dollars annual recurring revenue, and they, you know, they're wanting to grow, go out there and grow their business. How, how would you orient their that particular individual who's responsible for decision making, who's responsible for the entire P and L, and who holds other folks accountable in the departments that or the department heads for doing the same thing? How would you help them digest what it is that we do with podcasting, or what it is that that folks who are doing it who want to add value to the industry and educate the generation coming on behind us as, uh, as the best way to use this tool. Yeah. And I think at times when it gets to be bigger companies and they can actually track their marketing, it becomes much, much easier, right? So most small businesses don't do closed loop marketing, right? So if somebody, if we work with a coach or a consultant, a lot of times they'll come back and say, Oh, it works really good. You know, I've gotten a bunch of clients from that. Well, that's very qualitative, not quantitative. Then you work with the companies that are, you know, software as a service companies that know their cost of lead acquisition and their cost of customer acquisition down to the penny. And they're the ones that come back and say, yeah, we set up a a special welcome page after the interview, you know, and drove all the traffic there. And they know everybody who hit that page, everybody who converted, how much time, how much money. And they're the ones that are coming back to us and are saying the the cost of lead acquisition, the cost of customer acquisition is some of the lowest they've seen. The sales, the time to close is so much faster because they've already heard you. One of our clients, uh, Craig Cody, he's a fractional CFO. And I love accountants because they know their numbers. And he he publicly talked about this so I can share it. He said his return on investment was 600% at one year and 1,200% at two years. Earlier this summer, I was talking to a, a chief marketing officer of a software as a service company. And we're at the final area there and the CEO came in and he starts doing the math real quick. And, you know, it, a great company, B2B, they've got a monthly recurring revenue. Most people stay with them for years, right? The CEO stops and he goes, okay, let me get this right. If I'm doing the numbers right, if I go on a podcast interview and convert one person, it pays for itself in eight months. And the CMO goes, yeah. He goes, okay. Or if I go on a podcast interview and I convert eight people, it pays for itself in the first month. And the CMO goes, yeah. And he goes, what other marketing do we have that even comes close to that? He said, if I can't convert eight people on a podcast to our product, he said, the problem is not interview valet. He says, it's me. You should fire me, not them. And he was like, when can we sign up? So for them, they can see those numbers really quickly. And it's for them, it's just a business decision. You know, and if, if they would ask that same person, well, there's a conference that we could go to. We could be an event sponsor and spend tens of thousands of dollars and fly our entire team there. And all of a sudden they're talking twenty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 to do an event. Then they've got to back into it and say, well, how many people do we have to sign up while we're there? And what's the opportunity cost? Because uh, if that CEO has to spend 45 minutes on an interview, that's easy. If they have to fly and be gone for three or four days, that's a lot of time. Well, you just you just touched uh, on something because I I cut my teeth in the business world uh, in the in the brokerage space, right, in the wholesale space, right, the dirty little 
spot underneath the escalator, the, the, the part that everybody who stands on it. And you know what I'm talking about is that, that underneath part. <laughs> so I say all that to say kind of tongue in cheek that the inefficiencies that lie in the marketplace where most folks, well, I would say most folks, where folks can make their living or folks can kind of hide, so to speak. And you don't want to shine the light of efficiency on something as uh, as almost no brainer in a way whenever it comes to this particular medium or tool, excuse me. But the idea is most businesses rely on the inefficiencies because it also substantiates their existence, right? As, as opposed to forcing somebody to actually get better at what it is that they do. And do you feel like that's a resistance that some people would have towards this particular medium or is that, is that uh, a mischaracterization of an objection? I think you'll always find people that are looking for the new way to do it, the early adopters. And then you've got other people that are like, well, we're going to use the tried and true. I'm not saying either one is right or wrong. I scratch my head still. There are people buying Yellow Pages ads. At this day, there are people making good money selling Yellow Pages ads. I just look at that and going, I don't see how I get a, a return on investment on that. So I, I just they, they just look at the population of folks that are, I guess, over the age of 80 who still look at Yellow Page, I guess. I guess. Has to be. I mean, otherwise, how could you substantiate that? I don't get it. I, I don't know. But, you know, there, there are people that do that. Right. And I just look at that and saying that worked. That strategy worked, but it's not working today. But I'm going to take that same that tactic used to work. It doesn't work today. I'm going to take that strategy. When people look for me, I want to be found. My ideal customers aren't looking in the yellow pages. Um, they're looking other places. They're listening to podcasts. So I think there's always going to be evolving with new tactics to do the same strategy. And this isn't for everybody, right? Some people don't like to speak. You know, there's a lot of people that don't like to speak in front of a crowd. So it actually works well if they get to speak one-on-one. -on -one. But uh, if you're serving the, uh, the hearing impaired audience, podcasts aren't good, you know? Yeah, um, that's fair. That's but fair. Uh, oh, for oh. for other, or if it's um, uh, the studies have shown if it's too early of a crowd, right below about twenty four, they're not listening to podcasts. So it's not right for every uh, medium. But uh, you know, if your ideal customers are listening, why wouldn't you be there? You know, at the end of the day, they're going to be listening to podcasts. They're either going to hear you as a host or a guest, or hear your competition. Yeah. No, I, I appreciate that, which is also why you want to vet those folks who are relatively new. So if you've been here from the beginning, you can use the fact that you, you know, use the philosophy of, of trying to understand and uncover their intent, right? What, what are you doing here? What, what's going on? Yeah. The majority of podcasts that are created, I think, what is it, 350 that are, that are being produced daily that are being submitted to Apple? Right now, I, I just got a message from them saying that they're going to be down for reviewing that new show. So if you got a new show, go ahead and get it in because they're going to go on. They're like, we're going to go on a vacation. It's like, I, I understand. I get it. But the, the amount of new shows that are being out there, it's not a shortage of, like one of, one of our guests said this, it's not a lack of resources, it's a lack of resourcefulness. So just yes. being resourceful uh, with the information that's out there and uh, and then adding value to them. So you offer a significant amount of value over the course of this last 30, 45 minutes here. So let's uh, let's put a bow on this. How do people get in touch with you? I mean, we, we referenced Interview Ballet. I, I prefaced this conversation by saying that they can go to your LinkedIn and and look for Tom Schaub or Schwab, but tell, uh, talk to these I'll, people that want to that want to find you. How can they find you? I'll make it easier because if you're if you are listening to this, you're probably doing the same thing that I am when I listen to podcasts, and it's not writing down notes, right? And 
trying to find me on all the different social medias, let's just make it one easy place. If you go to interviewvalet.com forward slash knucklehead, I'll put all my social media links there, my email, uh, my calendar scheduling link. So if there's anything here that resonated with you and you want to talk, hey, let's jump on a call. I'll also, you know, I referenced the book. Uh, I wrote a book a few years ago, Podcast Guest Profits, How to Build Your Business with a Targeted Interview Strategy. Yeah, you can go to Amazon and buy it or just go to interviewvalet.com forward slash knucklehead and you get a free copy right there. So love to connect with you. What you've got to say is ordinary to you, but it's amazing to others. And it's never been easier to share what you know, either as a podcast guest or as a podcast host. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Well, I appreciate you always being a, a class act and obviously answering the questions and uh, and being transparent with some of the challenges as a you know this is your third business that you're running now, but also some of the some of the learning gaps. There are opportunities. You know, nobody does this right the first time. Where we screw up, where we mess up, that's typically where we're learning. We call that get some wins here at Knucklehead, right? And we call that uh, also just the willingness to go out there and screw up. Don't be a beta about the process, right? We say that kind of in a way, tongue in cheek, saying, "Hey, listen, it's gonna it's gonna require getting your nose bloody. It's gonna require scraping your knees." And, uh, and messing up a few times, or even just paying attention to, to somebody else who's willing to make a mistake and learning from their mistakes, learning through wisdom, learning through other folks' experiences to get you to where you want to go, right? And so Tom told you exactly how to get in touch with him. If you like listening to Knucklehead, you know, we've got a new episode coming at you literally every single Tuesday. If you want to jump on that particular website he's talking about, interviewvalet.com slash Knucklehead. Is that right, Tom? Did I Correct. That? All right. So for those of you who are listening again, Knucklehead will screw this up the first time. That's that's our specialty almost. So it's interviewvalet.com forward slash knucklehead. But the idea behind what, what we're talking about here is simply this. We want you to we want you to stop for just a second and pay attention to the words and the and the connective tissue between the folks who've been there, done that, and the, and where the direction of where things are going. And that's my encouragement to you. Yes, you can you can go to those sites. Yes, you can go search Tom out, but pay attention to what he's doing. When you reach out to him, Find out what his perspective is because you can learn a lot about the future by looking backwards and getting perspective from somebody who's been there, done that. I think this is his, how many different podcasts did you say you've been on? Like, I've been on over 1,200 podcast interviews yeah, but, and uh, sort of the crash test dummy. I, I, I've made all the mistakes and I just try not to make them more than once. I understand. Well, some of us aren't so fortunate. We just keep on running to the same wall, but maybe that's just me. I'm kidding. Well, I appreciate you, Tom. Anything else that you want to leave these folks with before we jump? Please reach out to me if I can be of any service. Yeah. Well, we appreciate that. Guys, don't be bad about the process. We will talk to you soon. Have a good rest of the day.